This is uh, an exciting day for a variety of reasons, just in case you can't tell. VBS starts today, and so we've got um, some awesome decorations um, throughout the building, so we're excited about that. That will be starting this evening. We're also excited today to have Phil Waldron and his wife Donna, who are co-founders of Mission Upreach. I've known Phil for a while, many years, through their um, work and our connection at Pine Tree in East Texas. Um, Bruce has taken several mission trips down to Honduras. Um, Bruce is familiar with Mission Upreach. We've had people from our church go down there, and Phil was in the States, and we wanted to bring him here. In 2009, Phil and Donna moved their family, which included their two youngest children at the time, Harrison and Laura to Santa Rosa de Copan and founded Mission Upreach. Mission Upreach has helped to plant 26 self-supporting, self-directed churches during the past 12 years. Their dream is one church in each village in this generation. I want to tell you that Phil's also going to be in the auditorium um, teaching class, my class that meets in the NPR, and anybody else that wants to join, Phil will be in here during class. Morning, church. It's our pleasure to be here today. In Luke chapter 4, we find an interesting story about an event in Jesus' life. It's the beginning of his ministry. We're all very familiar with the temptation of Christ in the desert. But Luke records that immediately after his temptation, he returned to Galilee where he lived, and he was mighty in spirit, and he began to preach and do miracles, so much so that Luke says everyone glorified him. And then he went back home to Nazareth, and he stood up in his home congregation, and things did not go as well in hometown as they had in the other towns in the region. In Matthew and Mark, we read the same event with a few different details. And we find out that after he preached, everyone said, Isn't this Joseph's, the carpenter's son? And don't we know his mother and his brothers and his sisters? Like, who, who does he think he is? In this tense environment, in fact, it was so tense that after he finished preaching, they wanted to kill him. In that tense environment, he chose these words that Luke records in chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, to announce the beginning of his ministry. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and they began to say to them, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus chose these specific words for this specific moment in his ministry. And I think that's significant. 
Jesus wanted to communicate something important and profound about his ministry in such a way that his hometown church, synagogue, would not misunderstand what he was about. And I believe this passage has a message for you and me today. You, just like Jesus, are in your hometown church, synagogue. And just like Jesus, you have a specific, personalized ministry and mission that your heavenly Father has prepared for you to do. The question is, are you going to accept it? No matter where you are in your walk with God, He is always calling you to a higher level of service. We never arrive. We never achieve the highest and best use of everything that He's given us. But that's what He's calling us to. In the few minutes that we have together this morning, I want to leave you with two thoughts. Number one, you and I were made for the very same mission that Jesus Himself claimed for Himself in his hometown of Nazareth. It is not a new mission. It is a timeless mission. It's a mission that is motivated by an intense love for God. And it's lived out in service to others, especially the poor and the brokenhearted. Number two, this mission is personalized to each and every one of us by our Creator. The God that created us who knows the very number of hairs on our head, has a specific mission for you and me. Our culture believes in a worldview that is reflected by Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow's hierarchy explains human behavior in terms of basic requirements for survival and growth. I have an MBA and a, a BS in business administration, and we talked about a lot of that and how it applied in the business environment. The most basic levels of requirements are physical requirements like food, clothing, shelter, oxygen, water, etc. According to Maslow, those needs must be fulfilled before other higher needs become important to people. Needs at the higher level of the hierarchy are less oriented towards physical needs and are more oriented towards psychological needs like well-being and personal growth. At the very peak of Maslow's hierarchy, which represents those individuals that have satisfied all of those more basic needs, he has self-actualization, finding oneself. And he defined it as realizing one's full potential, developing his or her talents to the fullest extent, living the way he or she was meant to live, and doing what he or she was meant to do in life. Maslow was a humanist. He didn't believe in the Creator God. Maslow believed that the ultimate goal of living is to attain personal growth and understanding. And yet Jesus said something distinctly different. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus calls us to a kingdom life that is an upside down kingdom. At one point, he told his disciples, don't be like the unbelievers who lord it over one another. I tell you, he that serves his brethren is the greatest of all. 
Jesus says, a life in my upside-down kingdom is a life where the first shall be last and the last shall be first. A life where to die for your friends is the greatest show of love that a man can make. A life where to seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness brings all the other things that one needs. A life where not even an abundance of possessions or a long list of accomplishments defines the value of a man or woman. In simple words, God made you and me to love Him, to love others, and make disciples. God made us with the express desire that we love Him because He first loved us. Some wise person once said, If you love God, if you truly love God, you can do anything you want. Because if you truly love God and you live to please Him, you would never want to do anything that displeased Him. Does that sound familiar? It should. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. On another occasion, Jesus said to His disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I know that's not easy. I really haven't even begun to live out those implications in my life, even though I want to. For instance, you and I know that Jesus and at least some of His angels are present in every single conversation that we have with people. And yet I don't live like that. If I live in harmony with the reality that Jesus and at least some of His angels are present when I have a conversation with someone, it's going to be a better conversation than it would be otherwise. Especially in those moments of disagreement or tension or stress. Another, for instance, Scripture tells us that God is not only able to see our actions, but He's also able to read our thoughts and our motives. I might can cover up with my words what I'm really thinking or feeling, but God knows. If I am loving God the way that I really want to, and if I strongly desire to only do what pleases Him, and I'm constantly aware of the fact that He is present with me and aware of my most private and secret thoughts, don't you think I will live differently than I would otherwise? Of course I would. This mission that God has prepared for you begins with an overwhelming desire on your part to be like Jesus who loved the Father with all of His heart. Here's a biblical truth that took me a long time to learn. And that is, God has a mission that is specific to the talents that He has blessed you and me with, including our family of origin. It took me a long time to learn it, and unfortunately, I had to learn it the hard way. I was raised a missionary's kid in Pakistan and Australia. Donna and I got married very young. She was 19, and I was 20. And after a few months of being married, she said, I have something to confess. Those, sometimes, those words sometimes bring on a lot of stress in a relationship. So I didn't know what to expect, but she said, 
secretly, I have always wanted to be a missionary. And one of the things that was most attractive about you to me was that you are the son of a missionary. And I laughed and I said, honey, there are two things I will never be. Number one, I will never be a missionary. And number two, I will never be a preacher. I hope you'll come to the Bible class in just a little bit because I'm going to share our journey and some of the scriptures and God incidences that, that we encountered that turned us in midlife to Latin American missions. It took some time for us to make that decision, but once we started analyzing our life, we came to the conclusion that we wanted to go and serve. We felt like God was calling us to serve. That's another story, and I hope you'll be here in just a little bit to hear that. But right now, I want to challenge you as this church in the greater Belton region with a, vi a new vision that your elders have shared with you to think about what God is calling you to individually and as a church. And the passage that I want to share with you is entitled in my Bible, The Rich Young Man. And it's found in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 30. And it reads like this. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not rich. My only response, if that's what you're thinking, is come to Honduras with us for a while, and then tell me whether you're rich or not. I'm curious, have you ever prayed, Lord, what do I still lack? Tell me what I lack, Lord, and I'll do it. If you did pray that prayer, what would he say to you right now in this moment? What is it that he's calling you to above and beyond what you've already been doing? Would anything in your life change if you actually prayed that prayer? The passage continues like this, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe thinking I'm not rich was not your first response to this story. If not, perhaps it was like what some of my Sunday school teachers taught me when I was a child. They explained that there was a gate in the wall of Jerusalem during Jesus' day where the merchants would bring their, their goods to market, but 
The gate was so narrow that the camels could not pass through without unloading the cargo first and then carrying it through by hand. I don't know if there really was a gate called the eye of the needle in Jesus' time or not, but I do know that those Bible teachers missed the point of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. I believe it's because we are so influenced by the American dream culture that we were brought up in and live in that it's almost impossible for us to accept the reality of what Jesus is saying. Jesus, the lover of our souls, knows us so well that he warned us when he said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our hearts so easily deceive us, and it's so easy to believe that we are not the rich young ruler in this story. I wish we had more time to talk about that mode of thinking, but trust me, it does apply to you and to me. The apostles were so shocked by Jesus' announcement that they said, if that's true, then who can be saved? Let's read the rest of the story as told by Luke. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Your heavenly Father says, be careful because what you think is so important in this life really has no value at all in the new world. Are you thinking this way? Your elders have challenged you with a new vision for this church, and they've identified three pillars or three core values that will help you guide you to be the church that God wants you to be in this day, in this time, in this community. Love God, love others, and make disciples. This is the mission that you were made for. It looks different from one person to another, but if we're honest with ourselves and with God, our life's activities will be driven by these three pillars, these three eternal principles. This church will be all that God intends for it to be when each person analyzes how they fit into that mission. How and what is God calling me to in His mission? My wife and Donna and I are very grateful to be here. We appreciate the opportunity to share this short message, and I want to invite you, as Richie did, to come to the class in just a little bit to hear about our journey as we considered some of these same things some 20 years ago and ultimately made the decision to go to Latin America. I want to close with a prayer. If you will, let me pray and ask God's blessing on you as a church, especially as you begin this new adventure of identifying 
your current mission. Let's pray.